This week, we hear what artificial intelligence has to do with phones, pilots, and lab-grown meat. And we see what happens when the world learns what Amy's fellows have known all along. Hi, I'm Karen Unland. And I'm Steph Enders, and this is Bloom, the podcast about innovation in Edmonton. Hello, Steph, and thank you so much for joining me as co-host of Bloom this week. Thank you so much for having me. It's awesome to be here with you today. You are Vice President of Product for the Alberta Machine Intelligence Institute, also known as Amy. So that's an interesting job title. What What do you do? What's your job? Uh, sometimes I ask that question on a daily basis, but I'm really excited that, that this job gives me the opportunity to really bring our mission to life. So we progress this world-leading advanced research in artificial intelligence, and then we look for ways for industry to adopt this technology. And so my job here at Amy is to find all the ways that industry really requires support for that translation of knowledge, talent, and technology. And I get to work with a whole host of amazing people, technical and non-technical, as they have amazing ideas on how we should do this. So just as like a kind of a use case, if somebody says, we want to use AI. Can you help us? Are you the person they come to? And then you kind of are the bridge between the, I want to use it and we know how to use it? We can be. So we use a couple of tools to really help evaluate where an individual or a company is on their AI adoption journey. And so we really believe at meeting companies and individuals where they're at. And that may, might be that they're just exploring and they're interested in the space or they're well along the process and they're looking to really advance the field in applied AI uh, opportunities. And so we have a whole suite of product teams that we really play matchmaker with. What does this individual or company really need to get one step further and how can we accelerate that adoption? We also play a big part in the ecosystem. So it's around that kind of uh, rising tide floats all boats. And so we know that we're not the only ones that can be focused on AI adoption. And there's an incredible ecosystem of educators, programs, and industry suppliers that we interact with on a regular basis. So you might send somebody to LTML or a researcher or someone else if, if Amy's not the right fit. Absolutely. And I think that's something that's really well done in the Edmonton market. And we're seeing it across the provinces around if the goal is to see excitement around AI and see this technology adopted, it takes a lot of different options. And one of my favorite things is actually kind of watching the talent and see how the talent hops around. So we have amazing graduate level students who might do a postdoc hop into a giant company remotely, come and do an internship with us. They might end up in Ulta's GovLab and then start their own company. And so tracking that talent and seeing what they're up to and how they see their career shifting and changing and that they have so many options in the Edmonton market is super exciting. Well, we are talking a couple days after you announced a, a five-year collaboration with TELUS to study and deliver AI-based algorithms and techniques to manage networks. So tell me a little bit about how, how that would work. What did, what, how does AI help networks be more resilient? Sure. So I think one of the things about this collaboration and the length of the collaboration that's really exciting is that we can focus on the word explore. So we mm -hmm. definitely don't have everything figured out about what we'll work on and how it will work between the two organizations. But the exciting thing is we're really focused on exploring how AI applications can really support their network infrastructure 
and identify potential risks. I think we've all been the end user of a telecoms uh, challenge and not having that immediate access to things like internet or a phone when it's really important to you. So I know this is a real world application that people will see the impacts of. And from what we know about what AI can do and its current applications, we know that AI can be really helpful to predict equipment failure, high usage loads, and even elements of optimization. And so I think any of those projects as we work together would be great value to build resiliency for these critical networks that we really as Canadians super rely on. And it's only when they go down or that there's a challenge that you understand how deeply your life is tied to a technology that you might not understand or have influence over. Yeah. Uh, we have uh, um, paid a bit of attention to kind of AI in predictive maintenance and like regarding pipelines. So is it kind of analogous potentially? I think that's definitely one of the potential areas. I think one of the use cases that's really interesting for us on that kind of the translation of research into applied work is the ISL water treatment plant in Drayton Valley. So water uh -huh. treatment, obviously very, very different than uh, networks. But that idea of can we take this research and find applied ways to make sure that communities are safer and better resourced for these critical infrastructure pieces. Yeah. So what does Amy get out of this relationship? Well, one thing I'm super excited about is we're the Edmonton anchor of the Pan-Canadian AI strategy. And I think when the Pan-Canadian AI strategy was launched uh, over five years ago, there was that like, oh, and Edmonton reaction. So right. Montreal has Mila, Toronto has Vector, and then out of kind of what surprised some is Amy and Edmonton, but that was really due to the long investment in AI research at the University of Alberta and building on that success. And so I'm really excited about the partnership with TELUS is it's also a similar like, hey, that's an Edmonton story where uh. there's this incredible story of entrepreneurship and risk taking and uh, kind of that desire to help your neighbor from another large organization that just happens to call Edmonton home. So that's the first part that I was personally really excited about was these two kind of Edmonton brands coming together to tackle something really big. I think on a more practical side, it's a big part of us realizing one of the new elements of the pan-Canadian AI strategy with a focus on commercialization. And right. sometimes that commercialization word, uh, it can mean a lot of different things to different people. And so for me, when we talk about commercialization, it's really about what does research have that we can pull into industry effectively? And to me, that's the knowledge, the talent, and the technology. And mm -hmm. so our work with TELUS, it's really about what levers do we have and what's going to be the best format to make sure there's knowledge transfer, talent transfer, and tech transfer. And I think sometimes people focus too much on just the tech transfer. And that's where we kind of get bogged down in those conversations of like what technology was created, what IP right. was protected. And I think it's really important work to do those things as well. And that's a focus of the partnership. But I don't want to lose track of the knowledge and talent transfer part mm. of the possibility as well. Yeah. And then I think the other piece is it's just an incredible opportunity to expose more of our students in our talent pipeline to what it's like to work inside an organization like TELUS and kind of what does it look like in the real world. So mm. TELUS brings their own national network. They have incredible expertise on the network side, but also on the AI side. And this partnership can really advance research and commercialization efforts even further 
because we're partnering together and bringing those really interesting people from different domains together. So it's not just about what can Amy offer tell us. It's like when we pull back the curtain, what new challenges maybe did our researchers not even know existed in networks because of that access to a, a, a big partner like TELUS? I'm going to take a, just one second to do like sure. a little history moment because some of our readers might, our listeners might not know this, but so the roots of TELUS are in Edmonton. It was uh-huh. Edmonton Telephones. It became TELUS at some point during my lifetime. Uh, it eventually moved its headquarters to Vancouver, which is a bit of a sore spot in Edmonton circles, but it's certainly a thing that that started here and now is one of the the, the big three or four telecoms in in uh, Canada. So uh, they better have come to you instead of uh, <laughs> Toronto and Montreal. I adore that you have the history lesson on TELUS <laughs> at your fingertips. I don't know about you. So I was born and bred, like born and raised, not born and bred, uh, born and raised here in Edmonton. And I remember being in elementary school and going to the EdTel Museum mm-hmm. off White Ave. And so mm-hmm. I'm not really sure if uh, the next generations kind of had as much kind of involvement in like how things like the internet and yes. phone line. <laughs> Yeah, indeed. Uh, well, speaking of TELUS, it's like this is a much bigger scale for a partner uh, compared to like Blind Man Brewing or even Adabotics in Calgary, which you've done some work with them on on logistics and, and stuff. Um, what does a big company like that need a not-for-profit institute like you for? That's a great question. And TELUS is definitely not the first. So um, past large announcement with organizations like Microsoft and Roche have resulted in lots of opportunities in those three pillars of knowledge, talent, and technology transfer as well. I think the element of the TELUS announcement that's a bit different is it's hyper-focused on a use case. Mm -hmm. And often we talk about our work with um, larger organizations or multinationals. It's really about the relationship. And so I really commend TELUS for being open about the use case right off the bat, because I think that's one of the challenges in my work is often companies aren't uh, ready at the beginning of a project to talk about the potential of AI work or the use case. And so that's been really exciting with TELUS is that we're talking about the use case right off the top, where often our partnerships um, talk about the relationship and the potential. And sometimes the public doesn't always get to see well, what's the intent of that work or, or what's the focus? So that's a little bit about it. TELUS isn't our first. It's just a little bit different in how it's being positioned on use case. And then what they get out of working with a not-for-profit, I think it's really that opportunity to tap in to a backbench of strength in different elements of this domain. So mm-hmm. working with us, there's lots of opportunity to work with our applied teams, to work with folks who've tackled potentially similar use cases in other domains, but also to pull in our research community when it's appropriate and when it will add to the dialogue. I think also with a not-for-profit, we're really tasked with being excellent stewards in the public domain. So we think deeply about the implications of our work, about the ethics of our work. Not to say that industry doesn't, um, but part of our role in the pan-Canadian strategy is to be really held up as an example of that. And we take that really seriously. Some things are a lot more tactical, too. Um, when we have internships and residencies with ML Talent, 
Our goal is to get them sticky to the companies. We mm. want them to take the talent off our hands. And that's yeah. not always the case with another uh, service provider or company you might be working with. And then uh, we make IP really simple, too, because we're a not-for-profit. We have really simple and straightforward um, arrangements and legal standing with the IP that's created in your project. So I think those are some of the reasons. But the number one reason is because of our standing as a world-class research institute um, in the world's first uh, national AI strategy. So that's an, that's a history lesson from me to you. Yes. And so Canada was, <laughs> uh, Canada was the first country in the world to have a national AI strategy when the pan-Canadian AI strategy was launched five years ago. And so I think that is really, really telling around the investment and the importance this technology has for Canadians. But it also being first means we do have that runway and we've learned a lot as we go on what commercialization can look like in different settings. Yeah. My last question on this is, is there money exchanging hands or is it a part, just a partnership? So we announced the collaboration over five years. And so right now it's really in that exploratory phase of what is the potential there. And we have great faith that the relationship will evolve and change over time to something really beneficial to both. Well, uh, switching gears a little bit to something else that uh, Amy wrote about recently, you've worked with a Calgary-based company called Delphi Technology to help develop virtual tra uh, training to reduce the time and cost involved in getting commercial pilots up to speed. So tell me a little bit more about what Amy did there and how that has evolved. For sure. It was exciting to see that case study published on the Amy website because it's been a little bit of time since Amy's direct involvement and a great example of the kind of way we push opportunities out into the ecosystem. So with this company, we worked specifically on something called a project validation. And so that's similar to what you were mentioning before, when someone has an idea of, can AI be used for this? Is there proof that it's been used successfully in the past? What approaches should we take? How do we get our house in order to do this well? Like what kind of systems and people might we need? So we call that a project validation, and it really is that kind of literature review and first steps to make sure that before you make major investments, that you know what you're getting into and you know the steps to take to reduce your risk and be successful. So we did a project validation, and then from there, uh, they've actually worked directly with researchers to advance the project. So it's a good example of kind of Amy. Like once you're with us, you don't have to like stick with us and like do everything with us. We really believe that the best path forward is to find out what matters most to the company or individual and make sure they're set up for success with as much information we can provide them. And so um, they're working directly with two researchers, one of which is an researcher and CFAR AI chair, Matt Taylor. And so super exciting to see what the technology will do, especially in an industry that's really, really um at the foremost thoughts of most Canadians when they're starting to book travel is, mm -hmm. will, that, will that industry be able to get me from point A to point B? And it's still people at the heart of it. It still takes a commercial pilot to fly a plane. Yeah. And so if AI can help train a, a whole bunch of new commercial pilots efficiently and safely and make them great pilots, I think it's an amazing use of the technology. Well, we'll link to that uh, that post in the show notes too, so people can learn more about that. Uh, you and I spoke before Christmas about another interesting collaboration with New Harvest, which is the the lo local not for profit that pays attention to uh, lab grown 
protein, mostly meat, and uh, but some dairy as well. Um, and that is going to result in kind of a survey of the possible applications for AI in cellular agriculture, and then lead to a research fellow who's going to be work for New Harvest and Amy at the same time uh, to pursue one of those ideas. What are your hopes for that project? Oh, that's a great question. And I think I've been able to have a front row seat to see our applied scientists as they collaborate with New Harvest. And so right now they're in the middle of that literature review, the survey paper. So we're really excited about it. They're deep in the weeds writing. And we are committed to that first public presentation being at Upper Bound in May. And I think bringing those two different domain experts together, so cellular agriculture on the New Harvest side and AI and ML on the Amy side has been exciting. And there's been a lot of camaraderie around the project, even at a lit review stage. So everyone's really focused on impact. And I think that's what really motivates a lot of the work. So according to a 2021 McKinsey report, the market for cultivated meat could reach 25 billion by 2030. And there's so many steps that have to happen before there's commercial viable product in this space at scale. And so anything we can do to really think deeply about the application of AI and ML in this space um, has to be done in collaboration because we're definitely not cellular agriculture experts. Mm -hmm. And if we bring all of that kind of power and excitement from our field to this emerging field, um, that's super exciting to us. And I was shocked that Uh, Isha was already reflecting on 10 years at New Harvest. Yes. (laughs) And to see how far it's come in 10 years, it gives me a lot of hope and excitement of what's possible in the next 10 years. She is uh, a woman of action for sure. Um, Like even since we last spoke, they established an institute for cellular agriculture, working with cult food science and uh, found a way, even within a not-for-profit, to bootstrap their future by uh, selling off some shares that she had gifted to the places like, we'll link to it all in the show notes. It's a long story, but... um, (laughs) It's an interesting, another interesting kind of Edmonton story to have Amy and New Harvest working together on this big challenge to see if we can find a different way to provide protein for billions of people. Absolutely. All right. Well, let's take a break to hear from our sponsors. And when we come back, we'll talk about some other uh, AI and innovation related stuff. Bloom is brought to you by Edmonton Unlimited. Here's part four of MacMail's conversation with Abby Stein-McLean, the head of Edmonton Unlimited's Capital City Pilots program. In recent episodes, we've heard about an overview of Capital City Pilots and what that's all about and how the challenge uh, paradigm is going to work and how the city will select challenges and how entrepreneurs can participate. So I want to finish talking a little bit about you know, the benefits here to entrepreneurs, presumably uh, innovators. If I bring something forward and it works for the city, maybe the city might be a customer, but either way, I still now have something that I can take to other places, right? Certainly, that's like a top draw benefit. The The experience, I think, is kind of paramount to everything else, but there are another uh, series of benefits to innovators and, and benefits to participation. Like briefly, I think I mentioned before, we're talking about relationship with city employees and direct feedback from people who would be in the space where your product is is being used and tested. I think that's super valuable to innovators. But the other thing is the the support programming for participants for reaching critical milestones. 
So the exact nature of the programming will depend on where the innovator is on their journey, their stage of, of business, and what pressing needs exist to achieve their short and medium term business goals. But yeah, this is sort of an interesting facet of like of being able to provide some like horsepower, firepower to these businesses during that pilot phase to kind of get them to their next uh, milestone. And there's a few other meta benefits. So we have a founder uh, innovator liaison uh, on our team, and he's available to all the innovators to facilitate introductions, uh, mentorship opportunities, service providers, um, and ecosystem partners to help entrepreneurs navigate the waters of getting their business uh, to the next level. And we have heard time and time again that that's a really important thing that is maybe not always so obvious uh, as for new entrepreneurs starting out is like, how do they get introduced to the people who are going to open doors for them? Um, we also think that collisions with other innovators that exist in adjacent verticals or who are also working in the municipal context will be super valuable. We're eager <laughs> for our new innovation space to open up in 2023. And so um, participation in Capital City Pilots will also will have space to, to support, um, you know, working time and a, and a lab, et cetera, to kind of hash things out. And that will be really helpful for um, especially new, newer businesses that are trying to get, get, get to the very first kind of milestones. And then as part of the application process, there's a technology readiness component. So we'll be assessing companies for their technology readiness. Um, and that is really helpful for if they're going to go on to sell to other municipalities in the future, because this is a step that is very common. And having had that experience will be like extremely important for being able to navigate procurement to in future contracting. So it will ready innovators uh, to experience and to navigate that, that process in the future. Well, I think it's really great to hear because I've heard of other similar opportunities in the past where the city of Edmonton or other municipalities want to work with innovators to solve local problems. And I think one of the big differences about Capital City Pilots is it seems like there's a lot of additional programming and support around just, you know, beyond just working on that uh, that challenge. So that sounds really encouraging for for entrepreneurs. Abby, it's been great to learn a little bit more about Capital City Pilots. We look forward at Taproot to writing all about uh, this program as it unfolds and as people start to tackle the challenges. But what else should our listeners know uh, about uh, Capital City Pilots? Yeah, I think just to hold tight that we are taking an entrepreneurial approach to the entire project. So we're adjusting as needed to best serve the innovation community. Um, the innovation challenge paradigm is like super well suited to this approach because the challenges will reflect the evolving environment and the like the constantly changing context. You know, the city of Edmonton as it is, exists today, maybe, you know, a different place in 2025. Um, and so we really hope to adapt along with it. Um, we hope to affect positive change within the city by demonstrating that there are novel ways to incorporate local innovation into the operational workflow. Um, and that will realize efficiencies and we can leverage data and sort of be a net benefit to citizens while helping propel entrepreneurs on their journey. So um, we're really excited to to tackle this project with you. Um, we're we're listening, we're learning, and we're nothing is set in stone. So that is like, you know, truly, truly an entrepreneurial uh, mindset. Um, and so, yeah, looking forward to hearing from you all and getting your participation. That's, that's fantastic. Uh, well, if you're listening to this, you are presumably already connected with Taproot and you can stay tuned uh, to our publications for more information about uh, Capital City Pilots. But Abby, where would you like to send people uh, if they want to know more? Yeah, so our website is probably the best place to go. And I will say it slowly. It is edmontonunlimited.com slash programs slash capital dash city dash pilots. Uh, you can sign up for a monthly newsletter there and more information will become available as the uh, challenge platform is developed and, and, and published at that URL as well. So very excited to see uh, it grow and to see your participation. And 
if you ever have any questions, drop me a line. Great. Well, thank you, Abby, for joining us over this last uh, several episodes to find out more about uh, Capital City Pilots and best of luck with the program. Thank you so much for having me. All right. So it's been fascinating, I think, to see the reaction to the power of AI with the release of tools like ChatGPT over the past uh, couple of months. I'm wondering, has Amy been bombarded with media requests to talk about this? I don't know about bombarded, but we've had a ton. So definitely media is really interested in talking about the technology. I think something that's been quite heartwarming is a lot of the requests are around how it impacts students and what it means for homework and uh, kind of academic integrity and Our chair and fellow Alana Fish has done some great interviews talking specifically around that we really should be looking at ChatGPT as a tool and educating students on what is appropriate and not appropriate and also what the limitations of that technology are. So uh, another media outlet did a great interview where they actually had uh, ChatGPT write a paper about what dog is the best dog. Right. And he gave it to a high school teacher to grade and it got a C minus. Uh-huh. And that teacher outlined that it didn't get a stellar grade because it didn't have an individual point of view. It wasn't able to articulate arguments well. And so it definitely is an incredible achievement, but it has its limitations. And I think more dialogue around that we can have kind of takes away any fear of that technology and anchors it in reality around like, what are the real challenges What are we going to see hit people in their everyday lives? And where are there ways we can benefit from it? So uh, the conversation around ChatGPT is ongoing and it's not just media. I have tons of conversations with the team here at Amy about it. Mm -hmm. And then I knew um, when my parents asked me about it at dinner that it was definitely (laughs) like hitting the mainstream. That uh, if if folks want to talk to me about a specific tool like ChatGPT, other than like, what does Amy do? And like, what is an artificial intelligence research yeah. institute? That it's definitely hitting the mainstream. I will say I was surprised that it's um, been a sustained conversation. I thought it might be pretty blippy. I thought it might mm. be like, look at this kind of party trick, especially with the general um, audience. But that's not been the case. And there's, I think, really great things that have come out of that around people asking more and more questions and then wanting to explore more and more applications of the technology. I think part of the reason it might have a little bit more legs is because uh, the the interface can um, produce a, a credible sounding uh, text that that media people are thinking like, is a robot going to take my job? Yeah. And then it kind of grows from there. So I think there's been quite a bit of uh, attention paid there. I think there are deeper and more interesting ethical implications to this. And I've heard everything from finally AI ethics is getting some attention. Um, Katrina Ingram uh, from uh, Ethically Aligned AI was in the Globe and Mail saying that earlier this uh, week. And and then others saying like this is a moral panic. This is people being freaked out about comic books or radio or the telephone or television or video games or whatever. And now they're worried about this. So 
where are you on that? Well, I know where you are in the spectrum, but what do you, how do you feel about that kind of range of responses? I think the first part is the best part of the conversation is that there is a range. There isn't a predominant narrative that is kind of dominating what the conversation is. I think the big one is that it's important that AI ethics are getting a lot of attention right now, but also realizing that there has always been a big focus on both the ethics of research and applied AI, but making it more transparent and more accessible and holding organizations to account is probably getting the attention it deserves through these conversations. So I think that moral panic, what is one that I'm not seeing as much in the coverage that might be due to the coverage I'm being presented yeah. due to AI falters in the in the content I'm consuming. But I think responsible AI is continuing to be a larger part of the dialogue, especially here in Canada um, and in other parts of the world around what are the kind of responsibilities that organizations have, their operational practices, but then also their initiatives around that. So I think keeping responsible AI or ethics in a little container related to an AI project is really dangerous. You really have mm -hmm. to think about it in that large scope of what are our responsibilities, what are our practices, and then what are our initiatives. And that's how I approach it here at Amy is that if there's a question about ethics that we really look at our framework, but then we look at those three levels at the same time. What are we responsible for? What are our responsibilities? What are our practices, both on the technical side, but then on the non-technical side? And then because we're that nonprofit is, are we backing this up in the market with initiatives that mm -hmm. help on education and help with like level setting on expectations? And so earlier this year, we launched a new program in partnership with the CIOSC, the Chief Information Officers Strategy Council of Canada, mm -hmm. um, to really focus on AI governance. And that's in partnership with IRAP. And so small and medium sized companies can work with IRAP to gain access to that program for really, really clear, defined examples of AI governance as they look to adopt this technology. And then similarly, um, out of that program are lots of recommendations of how those companies can really look at their own ethics frameworks and uh, processes, because I don't think it's um, a one and done approach. I think it is a deep process for each company and each practitioner to evaluate what those elements are going to be. And it changes based on how big an impact their technology might have on the world based on the kind of data and processes that it's it's working within. Yeah. Inside of Amy, where people have been working with, like fully aware of the power of AI for a long time, but normal people like me maybe didn't fully appreciate it until we could like say, write a poem about potatoes and the thing can do it in, in less than a second. Um, were, were people inside Amy like surprised that uh, people didn't know how powerful it was or uh, did, do they know that there is a gap? Well, I think in general, we know that there is a gap because of how much access we have to where the field is now and how fast it can move in the future. I also hate to talk about Amy as like this, like we all think the same way for the people mm. inside of it, because I think there's definitely areas of our team where they are acutely aware of the gap between 
uh, public understanding of the technology and its everyday use. So our training team, for example, is acutely aware of that gap between um, someone who doesn't come from a technology background, who might be hearing about AI for the first time or their only interactions with it have been through like sci-fi movies. They're acutely aware of that gap. I think for some of the other folks on the team who work more on the advanced tech side, all of the folks that they interact with companies are on applied AI or data teams. So there isn't that acute gap with the people they yeah. work day to day. We work really hard to to have great conversations about technology that are accessible to all audiences. So we have a meetup coming up in February that's mm. all around the impact of AI in health systems and in health. And that one's going to be super exciting because it's a lot of research being shared, but it's not as challenging, especially for someone like me. I'm non-technical. That particular meetup's not as challenging to go from like the theoretical to the everyday application yeah. of the technology. Okay. We'll make sure we know about this and what we will we'll link to that information as well and tell Taproot readers about that as well. Uh, I also have been hearing that even though we're expecting kind of a cooling in investment this year with uh, with the economic things, all of this hullabaloo about chat GPT and, and Lenza and all of the other tools that kind of ha- had some public attention has ignited some investors' interest in AI and machine learning companies. Just as an observer of the field, are you seeing that as well? I think... We're definitely seeing some elements of that. I know that there was more announcements today, even within Alberta, of technology layoffs. And and that's hard, especially in a smaller community like ours. We know that these are our friends and our peers. We're seeing layoffs at larger tech companies that felt really safe and really stable. So that's a, a real feeling of concern around the economic and investment climate cooling. At the same side, AI and machine learning are one of those technologies that really can lay on top of any domain. And because of that, I I don't think we'll see the same kind of cooling on the investment climate Mm. and that there is a lot of interest in specific domain at the intersection of AI and machine learning. And I think that's going to be where there's a lot of excitement and interest in investment, investment in the future. I think here in Alberta, um, a really great sign is an AI-specific venture firm, Flying Fish. Um, Mm. Tiffany's here located in Edmonton with us, really looking after all of Canada for AI-specific early-stage investments. And to me, that's a great sign that AI and ML have a a great home for startup creation here in Alberta, but that also there's the investment climate to back it up. Yeah, and that's Tiffany Linky Boyko, who we've talked to on the show before about like being this uh, Edmonton outpost for that um, uh, American uh, VC firm. So, all right, I want to ask you about something that my colleague Mac Mail said a couple of shows ago. He said this kind of stuff, but it's really hard to look at Edmonton and not feel like we're too late. Like mm-hmm. we were. We were leaders around the world in terms of research, and we're just nowhere on the map in terms of commercialization. Right? I think it's an opportunity for Edmonton to really double down, as you know, Pfizer was saying, and others have said about focusing. Like artificial intelligence could have been the thing that we focused on, but we haven't so far. And and now it feels like maybe that you know that opportunity has passed us because every jurisdiction all around the world is interested in what they can do 
around artificial intelligence. And other places like China and the U.S. are spending way more money on this um, than we are. So has the opportunity passed us by? Well, I don't think the opportunity has passed us by. I actually think we're incredibly well positioned for this opportunity right now and in the future. So it's definitely a conversation that based here in Canada and Edmonton often will hear the has the potential to, it will in the future. And I think with AI, we really have to anchor ourselves in it is happening now. Commercialization is happening now. And so here at Amy alone, last year, we worked with 75 companies on their AI adoption. And we're on track for that number to be vastly increased in this fiscal. And to me, that shows that there really is a temperature change in companies from startups all the way to multinationals, understanding that we have to grab a hold of this technology in order to be successful in the future. So Amy has long been strong in commercialization. So it is part of the mandate of the phase two of the Pan-Canadian AI strategy. Commercialization is part of that mandate, but we've been strong in it since our beginnings. And it's not been as obvious to the general public, but our mm. grads raised over 500 million in venture funding. And our partner companies have raised over 100 million. And so we are in very early innings here. And yes, of course, it would have been great for us to go really big a few years ago. But I think that we're set up for success and we've had enough time to experiment with different models of what commercialization means to understand kind of where our biggest bang for our buck is in terms of us being an ecosystem. And it's really thinking about what that word means to different people. So when Mac talks about commercialization has passed us by, I wonder what part of that Mac is mm. talking about. When I think of knowledge transfer, talent transfer, and technology transfer, we are an incredible ecosystem, an incredible player, especially at that talent piece. And we've had a lot of changes in that over the past five years. So we saw really early on in Amy's beginnings that most of the graduate students that were trained at the University of Alberta and supported by Amy would go to other jurisdictions for applied opportunities, or they were so laser focused on continuing in academia that they didn't know an applied AI career was available to them. We've really seen a big culture shift on that front. And now we see students from like day one of their training as a graduate student are placed within clients and placed with industry through us in our work integrated learning opportunities so that we can have that excitement about the knowledge and talent transfer at the same level that I think there's focus on the technology transfer in that commercialization word. Uh, you can confront him on that if you have us over again. So Mac and I had a, a chance to check out your beautiful new space downtown uh, a couple weeks ago. Tell me a little bit more about what that uh, that uh, fancy new place on, this is a, in your headquarters at, at the corner of uh, Jasper Avenue and 101st Street. For sure. It was so lovely to have you and Mac over. So I love that Mac poses these questions yes. because <laughs> That we love to talk about and we have a great yeah. advantage and Amy is part of that advantage here and we really do have cutting edge programs to bridge into industry. So with the space, I hope lots of your listeners were over to the space um, last spring for AI Week, which is now upper bound. That was definitely phase one. So we have, thank you for calling it beautiful. We have a new space um, in our headquarters that allows us to run uh, programming internally, but also for the public. So we have our own event space. You'll see lots of events there throughout the year, but also um, mostly at Upper Bound. 
And then we have a co-working and collaboration space that really brings together our staff, the members of our talent pipeline, which are typically students, um, kind of at the graduate level studying under a researcher at the University of Alberta, but it's not exclusive to those students. We have a really excellent talent pipeline program that brings in students from across different programs um, at a similar level of technology understanding. And then also our clients. So it's a great place for us to really bring people in person. And I know uh, that kind of return to work has gone differently for different industries, but I do see the great benefit and the sparkle in people's eyes where they can whiteboard together. They can kind of crash their rolling chairs into each other and be like, what are you working on? This is what I'm working on. And it's been very uplifting to see that. So um, it's been nice. We had the new CEO of CIFAR come for a tour a few weeks ago and the interactions of the students, the staff and our clients were really warm and welcoming and real. I think that's one of my favorite (laughs) things about working in tech in Edmonton is that everything's super relationship-based. Yeah. And even though we're working in this incredible technology, the space has really been set up to facilitate relationships and interactions and um, really looking forward to having more people in the space. I know that there's an upcoming biotech meetup that's open to the public um, in a couple of weeks that's in the event space. And then we have meetups every month. And then Upper Bound is coming in May and it'll be fully programmed. So we're definitely expecting hundreds and hundreds of guests to come to Upper yeah. Bound. We have room for we have room for everybody at, at those meetups because of the excellent space on the meetup and event side. Excellent. Is there anything else that we should look forward to from Amy uh, this year? Absolutely. I think we're so excited about all the potential that AI has for the city, but also we really are proud of our ability to interact with all kinds of communities and companies. So if you've thought about the role that AI could play in your classroom, the role AI could play in your company, or if you're considering like a career change and you don't really know where to start, one of my favorite things about Amy is how open and welcoming we are to answering those questions. So even though the team might poke me and give me a little trouble when I get out of this interview, <laughs> we have live chat on our website. Um, those are real people that answer the live chat. Everyone assumes we have some sort of chat bot answering the live chat. <laughs> but if you have questions about kind of those next steps, we're happy to interact with you and give you great recommendations for things you can do with us, but also ways that you can accelerate your adoption through other uh, channels, whether that's other organizations, companies, or even uh, materials for for reading and, and learning from. So we love to hear from people. And I'm just so excited about what the potential for the kind of year ahead has for us. Yeah. Well, that's a great note to end on. Thank you again so much for sharing your insights with Bloom. Awesome. Thanks for having me. That's it for this season of Bloom, actually. We're going to take a break to plan some more great episodes for you. If you like this episode, share it with a friend and do stay subscribed to the feed so that you don't miss us when we return. Bloom is produced by Taproot Edmonton with editing by Castria. Our music is by Dave Von Beaker and our cover art is by Vicky Wiersinski. Bye.